Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. It's my pleasure to welcome Sean Huss to the show. Sean has been in the mortgage business for 25 years, and he's been ranked as one of the top 200 loan officers in the country for the past 17 years. He's personally originated over $1.8 billion in loans. He resides in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he can lend pretty much all over the country. He's one of our preferred mortgage lenders and mortgage brokers. And so with that, Sean, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Marco, for the introduction, and I'm glad to be part of your show today. Well, I'm happy you're on. I'm doing sort of a mortgage special, quote unquote, because we wanted to share with our audience some insight as to where the mortgage market is headed, what has changed with investment mortgage loans, because that landscape does change. I know one thing with the lending space is that it's dynamic and fluid. It's not static. So I really think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people to understand what's available today and where we're going and how that's going to impact them as real estate investors. So before we get into some of those questions, let's uh, just take a minute or so and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do and, and the business that you're in. Uh, excellent. So basically, again, I work with Chemical Bank. Uh, so pretty much we like to think we're a very investor-friendly bank. Uh, we close anywhere from 50 to 60 transactions per month. Uh, we work with investors all over the country. So pretty much we follow the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guidelines, which pretty much what means is you can do up to a total of 10 finance properties per one person. So sometimes when you recommend your clients and if you got two qualified borrowers with a married couple, sometimes we'll suggest and educate them why it's best to maybe split them into one by 10 and the other by 10. So we do this process as far, as far as an educational process. The industry has changed a lot with uh, investment lenders. I've been working with the investor community probably for the last 12 to 13 years. Some of the banks out there follow Fannie Mae guidelines. Some of the banks out there follow Freddie Mac guidelines. So that's where people have seen differences with different banks over the past three or four years. They've pretty much in the last 12 months lined themselves up with each other. Uh, so chemical bank, that's why some banks will max you out at four. Some banks will max you out at six. With Chemical Bank, we don't have any overlays. Uh, also, we don't have any loan minimums. So a lot of banks will have a loan minimum where they won't lend for less than 75000 So as you, as the investors start looking at different price points, at different levels of investment properties, they might find some of the 50-60 range that are worked within their portfolio. As Then they go up to the 150-200 price point. Again, every situation is slightly different. What separates Chemical Bank and the investor community as far as making it, uh, life a little easier is our processing, our underwriting, and our closing all sits right outside my office. So we have a little bit more control of the process than most other banks. But uh, otherwise, um, we're committed to helping the investor community go. It's a, it's a strong market right now. Obviously, uh, there's more inventory out there. than I'm sorry, there's more buyers out there than there is of inventory, which is a great problem. So pretty much, and we can get into talking about rates and different opportunities and things in that respect throughout this conversation. For sure. So I always like to start off with the most simplistic and basic of questions, but just for those that didn't understand the term you used, which is an overlay, because we have a lot of sophisticated investors that listen to this show all across the country and the world, but we also have a lot of new, what I call newbies, but people that are just getting started, they don't understand some of the terminology. And I'll just take a stab at this. An overlay is basically just an additional set of guidelines or rules over top of what Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac give you that are additional qualification criteria. Did I miss anything? No, nope, that's you hit on the nose. 
Perfect. All right. So here's a really basic question, Sean, and this is really just for those people that still struggling to understand the difference between a regular mortgage loan that you would get for your home and an investment loan. In other words, what an investor would use to buy not a secondary home, but an investment property, a rental property. What is the main difference between these two things? Uh, one is a rate. So pretty much the rates on investment properties are higher. So what that means is when you're doing, when you buy a single family property, I mean, you can put as little as 15% down. So then you have mortgage insurance where owner occupied the minimum down, you can do 3% or 5%. Most of the investors are going to put at least 20% down, which when the investor community, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, they'll basically charge additional points for being an investment property. Uh, For instance, if it's 20% down, they charge 3.375 points, which in my world, what we do is, and when I say our the investor community, a lot of them will choose to take a slightly higher rate of interest to try to not pay points to minimize their out-of-pocket. If you choose to put 25% down, the rates are about three-eighths of a percent cheaper than doing 20% down. And then if you get into the market of doing two to four families, the minimum down payment there is 25%. So what happens is the rates tend to be about three-quarters of a point to 1% higher than owner-occupied uh, properties. With investment lending, we do have to document all the assets coming from the borrower or borrowers on the loan, meaning you can't do a gift. Uh, you can't have another party give the down payment. Everything has to be sourced, whether it's a secured home equity line of credit, whether it's a loan from your 401k, whether it's your checking savings account. So that's probably the biggest difference between owner-occupied investment is all assets must come from your own account. if you don't have them or somebody did provide them to you, again, you just have to season them for 60 days, not to have a bank question you where they came from. And kind of basically that's a creative way to do that if somebody's helping you provide assets for down payment. But other than that, the process is very similar to owner-occupied. Kind of a tangent question, something you mentioned that made me think of this. There's a debate sometimes between investors about how much they should put down 20% 20% or 25%. And I really know that that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of difference. It lowers the principal amount, which lowers the amount of debt service you have. So it increases your cash flow a little bit. But then again, it takes away 5% of your investable capital that you can put towards the next down payment on your next purchase. I'm just curious to know if you have an opinion on that, if you have a suggestion when it comes to a strategy versus when you compare 20 to 25%, what do you think of that? Actually, you nailed it on the head as your explanation. So there's two types of investors out there. One is cash flow. So basically, they got a ton of assets and they're just looking for cash flow because they're obviously, in both scenarios, you're trying to grow your real estate portfolio for retirement. So basically, every situation is different. So you do have the investor that might not have all the assets. And so 20% and or 15 every once in a while is a perfect scenario because it gets them started, gets them in the investment world. Basically, as far as rents go, what we can do is we can use 75% of whatever the house leases for and use that to offset the payment. So sometimes when you do with 15 or 20%, if that 75% is higher than the PITI on the payment, I'm certain the principal and interest tax insurance, that creates additional income we can use for the next property. So sometimes that's creative to do the 15 or 20% down route, uh, just so you can keep that 5%, extra 5% in your pocket to give you a head start to buy property number two. So then you got the other investors that basically have enough assets that they just say, hey, 25%, that gives me the best rate, the best cash flow. That's where I want to continue to proceed. As a reminder, keep in mind, 
each one person can only have a total of 10 finance properties under the Fannie Mae Freddie Mac guidelines before you start looking for alternatives. But you kind of nailed it on the head with the two different types of investor, one for cash flow and one's looking to preserve their cash for the next property, which that's their next opportunity to create more cash flow. When you're taking 75% of the rental income, I assume you're talking about the gross income. So if a property rents for 1000 a month, you're taking $750 and that's what you consider income towards the debt service. Is that correct? That's correct. When it's a subject property, because this is a misconception out there I hear a lot is I have a lease on it, so now I can finance it. Well, that's not the case. So part of the appraisal process, they have a market rent comparable schedule that the appraiser performs. So if the house isn't leased as of yet, we will use the appraisal the appraiser's estimated rents. So what that means is if it rents for a thousand, we will basically use seventy five percent of that to offset the payment. So again, if it's a subject property, we will either use the lease or we'll use the appraisal to come up with that number. So basically it's not required to be rented at time of application. Where it gets tricky is when you go buy the second house in order to offset the PITI, then at that stage there must be a lease on that to offset the payment on the first house. But the subject if it's not a lease on the subject, we can either use the appraisal if necessary for help for qualification or to create additional income for qualification. Sean, let's take a step back and kind of look at the, the entire forest here and get away from kind of these numbers and tactics for a moment. Some people might think that they've missed the boat on the low rates that we've seen for many years now. What would you say to these people? Um, actually, they have not missed the boat. Actually, the investment community is, is stronger than ever right now. So mortgage rates are creeping up. I mean, we're still sitting at 5% on owner-occupied. So historically, the rates are still very low. But we've been spoiled over the last 7 to 10 years as far as where rates have gone. So what's happening in today's world is as as the rates are slightly going up, what we do see is we have less people purchasing, meaning the millennials out there are saying, okay, I really now I don't want to buy because they have They've seen the 3%, they've seen the 4%, so now we're at 5 So basically what's happening is those millennials are starting to rent. Well, what's happening on the flip side is we have our investors out there that are building their real estate portfolio. As rates go up, rents are going up. So rates really shouldn't play a big factor whether you buy a rental property or not. Because again, as the rates go up, basically we're seeing the rents increase too. And now, now we're seeing more people out there want, that want to rent instead of own, unfortunately. So uh, the investor community is, is stronger than ever at this point. So I have not seen any slowdown for all of 2018, and I expect to see a stronger 2019. That's my feeling too. I think that if rents are going up and rates, if actually, let me flip that around. If, if rates are going up and rents are keeping pace with that, or they're going up as well, that covers the debt service. So the rate increase ultimately becomes a moot point. It's almost a wash. In fact, it might be in, in favor of the investor if rates if rates are being surpassed by the increase in rents on properties. And the other thing I want to mention too is my feeling, I don't have data to support this, but my feeling is that if rates are going up and affordability is going down and fewer people, including millennials, can qualify for housing, what does that do? It increases the size of the rental pool. And so that increased demand now leads to a demand for more rental housing, whether it be apartments, single family homes, duplexes, fourplexes. So that's a good position to be in for us as real estate investors, because now there is a growing demand for the product that we put out there as investors. Do you agree with that thinking? Most definitely. Definitely agree with that. And again, what we're seeing is 
there's more people educating themselves in the investor community, which I'm sure you're seeing. You have more clients coming to you because they're seeing the positive cash flow. The, they're building for retirement and the inventory is lower because there's more people coming out that are learning the philosophy, learning the process and the benefits that basically having a rental portfolio is bringing to their, to their income stream long-term. Yeah. So one of the top questions some people are asking, including clients of ours, the investors we work with, they're saying, where are rates headed? Some people really don't care about this. The answer to this question, they don't even ask. But for some people, it matters because they're thinking that I have to have to have to get the lowest rate possible, regardless of what I do, because their thinking is that I'm getting a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. I'm going to keep this for a long period of time, potentially 30 years or more, and never do a 1031 exchange. So for them, it's important to lock in at the lowest possible rate. You know, that begs the question, does that really matter whether they're getting five and three quarter, five and a half or five and a quarter? If you run the numbers, it makes a marginal difference. But what's your opinion on that? I mean, what are you seeing? You run numbers every day. I mean, basically, I mean, we are going to see rates creep up again. I think the federal government's going to basically raise prime lending rate probably one more time before the end of the year. Prediction is to raise another three to four times in 2019. That typically does not mean mortgage rates. So that's basically the prime lending rate, which is more geared to a short time rate. So we do see a little upward pressure on rates. But again, as the rates creep up, basically rents are going up as well. So it is important to get the cheapest payment. It is important to basically be smart. So at the time, so to answer your question, I think there's upward pressure on rates right now. So for people that are on the fence right now, this is the time you really want to start getting into the game and getting serious because they might be up a quarter percent in 2019. Again, nobody has the answer to this question because uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into the today's economy that can adjust that. But at the end of the day, even if they go up a quarter of a percent, and you're getting a real estate transaction that's cash flowing for you, which makes sense, which is basically that will be your job to show the numbers. I don't see it slowing down at all going into 2019. Yeah. And I think it's important to not be short-sighted and miss out on an opportunity for a quarter percent, a quarter point, and miss out on the opportunities that are in front of you for the years to come in terms of cash flows and equity growth. Because we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars added to your net worth. And in terms of returns, you don't want to miss out on an opportunity. I mean, people were investing in real estate when interest rates were as high as 18% back in the 80s. And they made it work. They figured out a way to make it work. So we are at very low, historically low rates of interest right now. That is correct. I felt that I cut you off there, Sean. I thought it sounded like you had something to add to that. No, not at all. Actually, I think we're both on the same page that the opportunities are out there and basically it's really not rate driven. It's basically opportunity driven and the market and basically that there's more renters out there than homeowners, unfortunately, at this stage. When I say unfortunately, that's not a bad thing. It's just where the economy is today. Yeah. So, you know, the 30 year fixed rate mortgage, the benchmark was right around 4.1% a year ago. And as of, uh, I think it was this week, it was somewhere around five, just over 5%. So it's gone up a percent over the course of the last 12 months. I know you don't have a crystal ball, neither do I, but if you were to prognosticate and look at what, what, what we're going to be seeing a year from now, do you have a prediction on that? Well, I would venture we'll see them in the mid-fives in 2019. Uh, so again, I think we'll see them in the, uh, the mid-fives. I think the housing market's going to be extremely strong in 2019. But obviously, anything can change that at any time. Yeah, I know it's tough to predict, but I have not heard 
anybody, including yourself, say anything that would suggest that anybody stop or even slow down investing in real estate and building their portfolio. And if you look at the other options out there in other asset classes, including the stock market, which I have mixed feelings about, I still am a firm believer, as I'm sure you are too, that investment real estate is by far the best investment and asset class that anybody can get involved in. I would agree. And the important part about getting into the real estate is setting yourself up with the right partners, such as a lender, such as yourself. Obviously, uh, we're the people that are going to help coach you to get you to where you need to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years, as far as uh, net wealth and building your portfolio. For sure. So I remember before the uh, the 2006, 2007 uh, credit crunch and what ultimately led to the uh, the Great Recession of 2008, there were a lot of mystical loan products, stated loans, ninja loans, you know, the no income, no asset, no job loans. There were a lot of creative loan products and credit was very, very easy to get. I know that we're in a different world today, but are you seeing stated income products coming back out? Do you foresee that to be a trend? What kind of changes are you seeing outside of the conventional, traditional type loan product? I personally am not seeing much of the state income, state loan products. We are seeing some of the Alt-A lender, when I say Alt-A, some of the subprime where you get a little bit more creative with financing. But in today's world, I mean, a 20% down investment property, they compare that to a 95% owner-occupied property. So when I say compare the risk level for 20% down, Although the normal person, such as yourself and myself, would say 20%, that's a ton of money. Well, in the investment community, basically, that's the minimum down payment. So equate that to a 95% down owner-occupied. Sometimes as a banking institution, they look at it and say, okay, if something happens to that property, maybe something with the roof, the heater, now it's a matter of, okay, do I fix it or not? And plus, the owner is not residing at that property. So as a bank, that's why they see it a little bit more risky, which is probably part of the reason Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac charged slightly higher rates for the investment community. You know what's funny about that statement, Sean? When people say that, I don't agree with the idea. I don't agree with the premise. The reason is this, and maybe we're saying the same thing here, but I personally believe that real estate investors are a lower risk to lenders and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because they come at this from a business perspective. It's not a home to them. It's it's a business. They need to finance their investments and produce positive cash flow. And they know that they can't miss their payments. They jeopardize their investment. It's a non-emotional transaction. They look at it rationally and objectively. And that's not necessarily the case with homeowners. There's been so many homeowners to the tune of probably millions of people that have walked away from their homes, you know, just said, yeah, you know, take it back to the bank. So, Actually, I, I agree with what you said. Actually, we've done an analysis through my personal book of business compared to the company's book of business and what we have found out, which goes right in line with what you just shared, is the investor community average credit scores higher than a bank's normal portfolio. Their default rate is lower than a, the average of a bank's portfolio. So actually, what we're seeing is the investors are stronger buyers. And basically, they are stronger borrowers, so the banks do like that situation. And I know I talk to investors all the time how when's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac going to open the door to go from 10 to 20? I mean, we're out there helping the economy by buying distressed properties and making them rentals and things in that respect. So I 100% agree with your 
analysis that you just said. Yeah. And that question about going from 10 to 20 or whatever that number may be, that question has been on the table for over a year. I've been hearing this for a long time. I've even talked to uh, one of the top analysts with the Federal Reserve about that, even though they don't directly control it, but they do a lot of market research and they're in the uh, political circles to make that happen. And even he has been in conversations about it, but it just hasn't happened. I had another comment as well. Oh, I have a friend who does a lot of research on housing and the housing market and investment. And one of the things he mentioned to me is that the average credit score on a loan for investment purposes today is 720. And you compare that to the the average credit score of investors buying properties back in 04, 05, even into 06, it was a lot lower. It was, it was in the, the low to mid 600 range. And so we're dealing with a different type of investor and a different demographic today. And so the risk is a lot lower. And that just underscores the point that investment loans are a safer bet for lenders. And I personally don't see a reason why they shouldn't increase it from 10 to 20 or more. Let's hope they do. I'm with you. I agree. There's a long list of people who agree with you. So let's kind of wind this up with just giving people kind of an idea or snapshot of what they're looking at in terms of investment loan products today. What would you say is the rate spread? What would be a kind of a low, a high? And can investors purchase in an LLC or do they still have to purchase in their own personal name and then transfer title? It's a loaded question. Yes. So pretty much <laughs> as far as where rates are today. So let's go to the easy part. The rates today, assuming excellent credit score, which is six, seven, four, I'm sorry, 740 or higher. You're looking at 30-year fixed rates right around 6.0. Uh, that would basically be with no points. So obviously at that stage, we can look at buying points to buy a lower rate of interest. And for those out there, a point's a percentage of your loan amount that you're borrowing to purchase a lower payment. If you're looking at 25% down, you're looking at rates right around 5.625. This is, a, again, on a 30-year fixed. Uh, that's with no points. And again, you have opportunity to buy the rates lower. Obviously, these rates change each and every day with the market. So what was the second question? I rolled two questions into one. But basically, a lot of investors will ask us if they can purchase in or through their LLC. And our general answer to that is you have to close in your name and then transfer title. So I just wanted to hear from you if there's any other options out there. There are other options. So there's the LLC is basically advised, obviously, real estate investors for many reasons. One is asset protection. So pretty much... An LLC is a corporation. So technically, when you're buying a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac residential type lending, basically you cannot put it in the name of the LLC. So what that means is if you were to purchase a property in your own personal name, then you a little bit later in the process, after you close, you transfer it in the name of your LLC, you're technically violating the due on sale clause in that mortgage. And that due on sale clause in the mortgage is the same for every lender. So pretty much when you get residential financing, basically the, for, the mortgage you're signing is a Fannie Mae document and there's a due on sale clause, which basically means that the lender finds out that you transfer the title without permission, basically they could call the loan due or force you to put title back in your own personal name. Now, just recently, Fannie Mae has come out and said, okay, if the borrower purchases it in their own name and basically they would like to put it in the name of an LLC... They are going to start allowing this, but the LLC has to match the person on the mortgage. So what's going to happen is and this process has to happen after the closing. So what would happen is if you have one borrower on the loan, 
you have to have a, a single member LLC and you'll probably be granted permission from the lender to put it in the LLC as long as the parties on the note match the LLC. The two other avenues I've seen for asset protection are a trust. A trust is you're allowed to do a trust. You can do that from day one. So you don't have to worry about transferring title after the closing by utilization of a trust. Now, your third avenue for asset protection is working with your insurance agent and looking into an umbrella policy and basically protecting it through your insurance agent. So those are the three methods I've seen for asset protection for investors on the streets. Yeah. And I want to mention that those three things are not in isolation. They usually work together and in combination with each other because asset protection is like layers of an onion. They work synergistically together. And I will point out that we've probably done two or three episodes specifically on asset protection. And if that's something you need to learn more about, you want to get into on a much deeper level, I would just go back to those episodes and listen to the asset protection stuff. But those are all great points, Sean. What else do you want to add before we uh, kind of close this up here? I, I think we've kind of surveyed the landscape here and we just have an idea of where mortgage rates are today and what loan products are out there and, and possibly where we're going. There's no question that it's still a great, great opportunity today to buy with these still historically low interest rates. So what parting thoughts might you want to give? I mean, basically, again, the, the industry is super strong. There's a lot of information a lot, as far as in the lending aspect of investment lending. So if anybody has questions or concerns for me directly, I'll go ahead and give you my website that has my name, cell phone, email. You can email me at any time. I'm very responsive. I've got a team of four or five people that work with me as well, but uh, I pretty much will be who you deal with up front. Uh, but you can reach me directly at www.seanhuss.com. And that's S-H-A-W-N-H-U-S as in Sam, S as in Sam.com. That'll take you straight to my Chemical Bank website. It has all my contact information. Please don't hesitate to shoot me an email. Give me a call. Definitely would love to partner, be your partner in uh, growing your real estate portfolio. Perfect. Well, you answered my last question. That's basically how people can find you. So <laughs> I'm glad you got that out there. Sean, this has been great. I appreciate the uh, perspective and input, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again real soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me on your show today. Thank you, Sean. My friend MC Lobsher, the host of Cashflow Ninja podcast and president of Producers Wealth, is on a mission to help you achieve financial independence as soon as possible. He achieves this by integrating the infinite banking concept and real estate investing to increase your financial efficiency and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware you're losing. MC shares the number one strategy investors use in his holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.